Hello and welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is my co-host, Javier Figueroa. So welcome, Javier. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Bernadette? Good, good. We've missed you the past couple of weeks, and I'm glad you're able to join us again. Um, You know, so much has been going on. Uh, First of all, let's Let's thank the the generous donors who make this two hours of this show possible so that we can try to bring you information to help you make informed decisions in your life on on what we consider to be very important topics. Um, Let's see, there was um, our our first, we kind of switched up who's going to be our first guest today. So um, let's go ahead and bring her on. Let's bring on uh, Laura Gabriel. She is an RN. Hello, Lara. Um, so good of you to come on um, sort of at the last minute here. There was, let me refresh listeners to what's going on in Washington State that is so important. Let me just pull up my little notes to myself. So in Washington State, the way vaccines are added to daycare and school requirement per law is the 10 members of the Washington State Board of Health who are hand selected by the governor, they have the authority to add shots or remove shots, although I've never heard of them ever removing shot, although we've asked them to do so, they've not. Um, And they have to go through a formal rulemaking process in order to do this. Recently, they formed a TAG, a technical advisory group, in order to review what nine criteria that they have set up that they use to examine new shots to just to see if they could or should be required for school. So they have assembled this tag and we've written about it. If you want to learn about it, our homepage now is is all about our response to the tag, to the information being given them, that sort of thing. Um, So I encourage you to go there and, and check that out. So through all of this process, a lot of people have been paying attention to what is going on. And and a big vote happened yesterday, the final vote as to whether or not they were going to recommend. And um, I'm going to give it away right now. Uh, um, They actually voted, the majority voted not to recommend that the Board of Health add the COVID shots to to school requirement. Okay. So I'm going to back up a little bit and and have our guest tell you about herself. And then we're going to dive into some particulars because this is a really important subject, because although we are very um, glad that the tag made this decision, um, we're not out of the woods yet. The Board of Health could easily vote to do so to add the shots anyway. So, Laura, tell us about yourself, please. Hi, thank you so much, Bernadette and Javier, for having me on the show. It's really an honor to be here and, 
and to get to talk with everyone today. My name is Lara Gabriel. I am a registered nurse. I have been a nurse in Washington State since I graduated from the University of Washington School of Nursing in 1996. I'm a member of the Sigma Theta Tau Nursing Honor Society. I'm currently in a doctoral graduate program studying to be a nurse practitioner. I'm about two thirds of the way through. And being um, in classes in epidemiology, statistics, public policy and research design at the same time that COVID is going on has really been um, invaluable for my analysis of what's going on socially and politically and medically. It's been fascinating. Um, I am also a um, board certified lactation consultant and my, I, and my expertise is in uh, women's health, infant, newborn, neonatal, and pediatric health. Um, I've had a really broad nursing career, but I've also had the chance to go deep into those areas. And my passion is serving women and children and families. And my belief about that is when women, children, and families thrive, society thrives. Mm. We found yes. these vulnerable members of our society. These are the people we need to look out for, support, and protect. And that's what I've devoted my nursing career to. And that is why I am so passionate about informed consent and education for people about the COVID shots for kids, because it, it um, we, we, we need informed consent and fair education and accurate information. And I'm finding that that's lacking in a lot of areas. So I'm really passionate about talking about this topic. Um, I want to give a little disclaimer that um, these are my opinions. I'm not representing any institution. I'm not representing anyone else. Just this is just I've been it's sort of been a part time job for all of us the past two years. Right. Researching what is going on. And um, I formed my own opinions and um, I like I appreciate the opportunity to share them. And also I am want to come out and say I'm not anti-vax. I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse since 1996. I have worked in public health. I have educated parents about the risks and the benefits of vaccines, and I'm not anti-vax. I am certainly pro-caution, I'm pro-safety, and I am pro-medical autonomy in medical decision-making. So that's a little bit about me. Wow, that is wonderful. And I, a couple of things I want to say uh, straight off is, I love a lot of what your background is, and I look forward to, in the future, having you on to talk about the wonderful subjects of, of breastfeeding, of nurturing the family. You know, we've spent so much time on this COVID stuff, and getting back to the roots of real health and the nurturing health that you are interested in. Yeah, I really look forward to that. So um, thank you for all your work doing um, in that. And I also want to say that, the, you know, I can't let it go that the term anti-vax, anti-vaccination has become such a derogatory term and the meaning has completely changed. It used to, I'm not even sure what it used to mean. It has changed, involved so much over the years, but at this point, anybody who is against vaccine mandates is considered an anti-vaxxer. Mm -hmm. so anybody who is critical of any aspect of any vaccine or any vaccine program is considered an anti-vaxxer. And um, I think what we really have to get is beyond pro or anti-vaccine. Mm -hmm. We are 
um, pro-healthy immunity, however that may be achieved, and pro-consumer protection. Yeah. Right. This is a, this is a pharmaceutical uh, consumer protection issue, and pro and anti should have nothing to do with it. Is okay. So that's I'm get off my soapbox, but um, I feel strongly um, about that. I 100% agree with you. Yeah. Brad. I love the way that you put that. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. So, where would you like to begin? There's so much to cover in this hour. Do you have a place that you'd like us to begin the conversation? Sure. Um, there is a lot to, to unpack. Um, this has been a big week. I'm honestly exhausted from keeping up, like everyone else is, from keeping up with everything this past week. Thanks for the great introduction, catching up to people about the Board of Health pro process. Um, I would just like to unpack a little bit about the three meetings that happened this week um, that people may or may know, not know about and how they're connected um, because I want to eventually get to creative solutions um, and what we can do and uh, give people a clear, clear message about what we can do beyond being educated about these issues. And the three meetings that happened this week were, as we know, on Thursday, the 24th, there was a um, the tag presentations on criteria seven, eight, and nine, and the final vote to the uh, for their recommendation from the mm -hmm. tag public health. So we we a lot of us know about that. Not everyone knows that there were also two really related and important meetings on Wednesday. Um, on Wednesday, there was a on Tuesday afternoon, late in the afternoon, we saw pop up on the Board of Health website that another meeting was scheduled on Wednesday. And um, they were just discussing various procedural matters and rulemaking. And I attended that meeting on Wednesday from two to three. What I didn't know and what many people didn't know was that I'm gonna put my glasses on so I can read here. Uh, the Board of Education held a meeting at the same time from two to three, which was a meeting um, that was open for public comment on a measure that the Board of Education in Washington State is proposing to amend the WAC such that if private schools were to be found out of compliance with state health and safety laws, private schools could be punished by the Board of Education and stand to lose their operating license and accreditation. I don't, I don't think they have the authority. That's a making law. You can't make law with a whack. A whack, the way I understand it is whacks are the rules that government agencies write mm -hmm. in order to put in practical terms the laws. They must have the underpinnings of law. You cannot write new law with a whack. And I, you know, it, it, it's very vague language that what health rules are they talking about, right? right. This is very concerning. And, uh, you know, and, and the fact that they did it very um, carefully. Now, I subscribe to an awful lot of emails from various government agencies, mm -hmm. and I do get some notifications from um Office of Public Instruction. Now, I, maybe I should check my spam to see if it was there, but I don't recall getting notice of public comment on this at all. So neither who was informed, I. right? Yeah, neither did you. This is very concerning. It is very concerning. There was a good outcome, though. 
so that I do have some good news to share. There was one mom who found out about it and spread the word through her grassroots group on very short notice, um, less than a day's notice. And they had um, two hours of testimony, one minute each. And 165 people showed up to testify. 100% of them testified against this amendment. 100% of them testified that the Board of Education has no policy regulating private schools. Excellent. Excellent. Good for them. It was a huge, and that's going to be the sort of the theme and the take-home message from today is what happens in response to public outrage, public outcry, and Mm -hmm. comments. Mm -hmm. I have a quick question for you. So who, have you been able to determine who's been driving this particular policy setting? Because these are, these, these require a lot of planning and a lot of, uh, bringing together committee members. Mm -hmm. I just found out about this on Wednesday and I have been, I'm still trying to unpack it. You know, that's a great question. Who, who is behind this and who was behind scheduling a pop-up board of health meeting at the same time as a connected issue meeting for the board of education for public comment, Mm -hmm. you know, those two meetings should not have been scheduled at the same time. Right. Because the the connected issue is that is that as we heard in the tag presentations, the um, members of the tag are well aware that enrollment is dropping. Yes. There's been uh, at least 40,000 kids that have unenrolled in the past year from the Washington public school system. And that trend is continuing. Mm -hmm. And this funding, if that continues Mm -hmm. and are homeschooling their kids and putting them in private education for multiple reasons, including the COVID response and the school closures. And um, also in the tag presentation, two thirds of parents in a Kaiser survey said they do not approve of COVID shots being required for school entry. Two thirds of parents said that they don't want these shots required for school entry. So that kind of gives you an idea that if these shots are mandated, for school and daycare entry, how many parents are gonna pull their kids out of the system and what the public education system has to lose. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't want this to go through. I think it's ridiculous, it's unethical, I think it's illegal, but I just had one thought. The Seattle Catholic Archdiocese, I never pronounced that correctly, forgive me. We we petitioned outside of them like in 2019. Mm-hmm. They do not accept religious exemptions for vaccination, for any vaccination. But if they if this ridiculous whack went through, does that mean that the Seattle Archdiocese would suddenly have to now follow exemption laws of the mm-hmm. state of Washington and, and have to accept religious exemptions? I don't know. But um, so so there might be that little drip of it's it may not be worth it <laughs> to have it go through. But um, let yeah, let there's always a silver lining to everything, right? There is, there is. But what we're seeing is a lot. What we're what you're speaking to is this correlation, this connections between the health department and the education department, and yeah. that shows up in things like. Uh, health clinics and immunization clinics at schools. At schools. My personal belief as a nurse is that vaccine clinics belong at a pediatrician's office. Yes. Exactly. 
in a, in a healthcare setting that can respond to anaphylactic shock and other um, um, adverse reactions for safety. Mm -hmm. um, long in a place where parents are bringing their kids in and the kids have parental supervision. So that and, and parental consent, they don't belong in school. So we're seeing a lot of, you know, overlap between schools and the departments of health that may not be a good thing for kids. Well, and the other thing we really need to address as well is, again, to your point, all these clinics that are popping up within schools are being are being pushed and funded by outside private foundations. <coughs> These are not state. These are not state-supported uh, uh, programs. These are these are pilot programs, and again, there's also been a lot of talk. And I don't know if you know the the discussion is I think uh, partially relevant, but there's a lot a lot of discussion of about allowing children to decide where they want to transition. Mm. And by transition, I mean sex therapy changes, giving oh, that power okay. to them. And the discussion, mm. and this is not isolated. Lots of other uh, school boards, lots of other school districts mm -hmm. have been trying to push to grant uh, the right of, uh, you know, under 13 or, or under 14 year olds to decide medical, uh, you know, medical decisions uh, for them and excluding the parents. This is well coordinated. These are not accidents. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to speak to the, the coordination of, of legislation. First, I, I, I disagree that 14 year olds are competent to make those kinds of medical decisions. 100%. I'm a yep. parent of a 15 year old. <laughs> and <laughs> I, 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 you know, that those, the parental authority belongs with the parents. Well, and even the Supreme Court has sort of, has acknowledged in, in several of their rulings that somebody, a minor under 18 and, and even into the early twenties, they don't have the the maturity i mean the studies have shown to make they're impulsive they're easily influenced by outside forces you know they may there's just so many reasons that's validated scientific that young people are just not competent to make these sort of very important decisions so yeah well well said bernadette thank you so i just want to give an overview of just three bills that we've had that seem coordinated with, within this context. And I'll just name the bills and then we can talk about how they're coordinated. So first we saw a bill that's um, currently moving through the legislature and likely will pass. I don't have the bill number, but it is the enrollment stabilization, enrollment funding stabilization bill, where they are trying to um, basically pay for schools for having empty seats. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's that. Um, and, and maybe that's to protect schools from massive withdrawals if the Department of Health um, brings down mandates. And then we saw the bill that thankfully was tabled due to public outcry where they tried to lower the mandatory school enrollment age from current eight years old to five years old. You know, so if it succeeded, that would have made many more children eligible for shots. If yeah. They had Yep. And then third um, was this move to change the private school regulations so that parents won't have a real choice when it comes to health and safety issues um, that they choose public versus private school. Yeah. Really take away, take away choice. So I think that um, it's just so interesting that all these bills and legislative actions are kind of coming at the same time affecting kids in school and funding. 
And right. And what's really even more, it could not possibly be just a coincidence that in every state in the United States, you're finding similar coordination, similar bills, similar attempts to push agendas to marry schools and and health departments. This has been coming for a long time. And then COVID has been attempting to to provide see um, public demand for it is really they want the public to say yes you know we're afraid of this so yes bring it to us bring it in the school make it convenient and you know we've been arguing for a couple of years I remember testifying on a bill a couple of years ago just saying that you know not every parent follows allopathic medicine because there's 50 60 schools right now in Washington state that have clinics on site. These aren't vaccine clinics. These are just regular clinics that you can go to. And, um, oh, I completely just scrolled on, um, on my, th- oh, not everybody practices allopathic medicine. So you've got maybe a child of somebody who, whose family practiced traditional Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Ayurvedic medicine, naturopathic, homeopathic medicine, mm-hmm. and they get a sore throat, they get it cut, they are afraid of something, and they go down to the school clinic to talk right. to somebody. They're not going to be given um, the sort of same treatment. They're going to be given that allopathic approach. And with so many laws lowering the age of consent for getting pharmaceuticals for mental health problems um, and for making medical decisions that are hidden from the parents. If you get it, if you're of a certain age in Washington state and you get a Gardasil vaccine, that is hidden on the, in, the, the insurance information from the parent. Yeah. So the parent will never know. And it's not on the IIS. That's ex- the, the immunization information system that's accessible by the parents. They hide it from the parents. So all of this is a huge slippery slope to be in where our children are more and more Mm -hmm. becoming wards of the state. Basically, we're going to take over the schooling. We're going to decide what your children should see. We're going to decide how early they're going to learn about things about sex. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to decide, you know, what we're going to tell them to believe about such things as vaccination and all these other medical things. Where's the reading, writing, arithmetic, please. You know, I mean, they're moving into parental territory. They're moving into medical territory Mm -hmm. and we have got to stop this now. Yes, absolutely. It's great to hear your perspective from other states because I only am paying attention to what's happening in Washington state and you've got more of a national perspective and you're saying this is a national trend. Oh, yes. Even even here in the great free state of Tennessee, the attempts are being made on all of these subjects. But luckily here, there is a big movement to try to enact legislation to block it from happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so. the other thing and the other thing that we have to consider is that, you know, what happened with Gardasil, that had to be in coordination with an insurance company or several insurance companies. So there is right. a lot of uh, what we basically a lot of interlocking directorates, which that is a term of law uh, that needs to be addressed. So this is actually a much larger 
piece of a very illegal move that they're trying to legalize through the back door. Uh, and the moment that that is, you know, challenged, it will fall apart unless the laws change. And that's why I think there's such a rush right now, because there is a push, one, to make children wards of the state and exclude parents. And mm -hmm. again, I wish I, I wish I didn't sound as paranoid as I do, but there is so many interlocking movements that are trying to push family out and the yes. state in. And yes. I hate to sound this because I used to be a proud lefty. And now, <laughs> now I'm seeing it for what it is, which is basically usurping the rights of parents and individuals yeah. to make choices. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you, you know, and um, I, I have, well, enough about me. You don't need to hear about me. But I admire, we've all been on a journey in life and we've reached, you know, and I continue to learn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was very naive in my younger years and I probably still am now. I tend to believe the best of people and it just shocks me and I find out where they were actually lying to my face because, yeah. you know, I'm still a bit of a uh, Pollyanna. But on this journey of maturity, I think that a lot of the global powers that are trying to ch in change the entire planet, um, they are playing on the best of humanity. Yeah. Most of us want to do what's best, not only for ourselves, but for our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Human beings are pretty great creatures, right? They're mm -hmm. playing on that. They're playing on our the best of ourselves to want to, you know, all be happy and get along and respect each other. So they're using that language, which appeals to us, mm -hmm. the best of us, but they're doing it for nefarious reasons. And it only gets revealed when almost when it's too late and somebody is harmed. You know, so, um, yeah. So, but Pete, I know that listeners are wanting to hear, uh, Laura, your insights into what's going on with this tag, what's been presented. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, I, let me just say quickly about, about the vote. I thought it was really interesting that even though a lot of the information presented to the technical advisory group was very biased and skewed, they did not let any um, opinions outside of theirs be presented. And they hand-selected individuals who really believed that the CDC and the DOH were, were doing the right thing during COVID. They were all very COVID uh, vaccine. Um, you could tell by their remarks and their backgrounds and their jobs that they believe in this vaccine, right? That's who they chose. Despite the fact, that fact, the vote out of 17, there were six who voted Yes, they re would recommend the Board of Health add the shot. There were seven who voted no. Mm -hmm. That after all they were presented, as skewed as it was, they voted no, and there were four unsure. But it's even more unbalanced than that because two of the yeses, one um, is a member of the Board of Health, Dr. Tom Pendergrass, who gets to vote, you know, on the the final actual vote. Mm -hmm. He voted, and, we, and you know he's pro-vaccine. You know he was a yes from the get-go. This tag did not change his mind. And then we had um, Dr. Tao Kwan Get, who is the Washington Chief Science Officer, who's the stand-in for the Secretary of Health when he's not available to serve on the board. And so he's also a voting member of the Board of Health. And he surely was one of the yeses. So that means there were only four yeses and seven no's and four unsure's at the end of this. 
And in my opinion, the whole tag, as far as the goals of Dr. Pendergrass, backfired because I feel like the tag members were very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. They worked very hard to process the information they were given. They weren't given enough information. They weren't given some critically important information as you will be bringing up, but they did the best they could. And I think they made the right decision. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with you. Even in the, the absence of some really crucial current information, they still, what the tag members still heard was that this shot does not meet the nine criteria. Yes. Overall, when they considered everything together, because some of the criteria, um, one through five, was a majority yes vote. But when, but you can't just take these things in isolation. You have to consider them as a whole. For example, if something is effective, does it matter if it's effective if it's not safe? Mm -hmm. Or right, if it's not safe, it doesn't matter if it's effective. So you have to. I, I'm so grateful that they. Yeah. Can everything as a whole. and when then they did consider it as a whole it was it was a majority no vote yes the you know i think that they finally heard that the the downsides the risks of this shot for kids um the the risk benefit analysis is that there's um huge unknown and known adverse yeah. and risk and no benefit yeah I think that that came through even with missing information. And one of the things that I was motivated to do, as well as my friend and colleague, Dr. Zaina Carver, yes, um, love her. is when we saw these presentations, we both said, wait, there's some really crucial information they're not considering. And so each one of us took time out of our, our lives and wrote rebuttals. Yes. Um, Science-based, thoughtful. Um, yeah, well. Exactly. Initiated, um, bringing in information that was that was missing. Um, yes, and and listeners, viewers can find those at informedchoicewa.org. Those right now are on our homepage, and you can find those rebuttals and more are coming. Um, I did want to say real quick here. I, I took note of what what the main reasons the discussion after the vote. The main reasons why the tag um, overall voted no was um, they felt there was still too much unknown about the ability of the shots to reduce transmission, especially in a school setting, mm -hmm. too much unknown about future SARS-CoV variants. Um, they were concerned about the administrative burden on schools, that it might not be worth the small increase in COVID-19 vaccination rates that any requirement might prompt. And it was acknowledged that there was significant vocal opposition to school vaccine mandates and that trust in public health vaccination policies may be undermined by a COVID-19 vaccine mandate at this time. Yeah. So, and then listeners, March, either in March or April, stay tuned. The full Board of Health still gets to make a decision. Again, this was just a recommendation from a technical advisory group not to add the shot, but the Board of Health can do what they want. And in the past, I actually served on a tag where we recommended certain things and the board did not take our recommendation. So mm -hmm. um, there we go. Okay, let me see how we're, how we're doing on time. We're doing good. Okay, I have, yeah. I have some questions that, that I would like to um, 
share that people have asked me that maybe you can clarify because I think these are common questions. People okay. want to know how can the the tag recommend or how can the Board of Health um, pass a, a vaccine mandate for kids on an experimental use authorization product? People don't understand that. Well, they shouldn't understand it because I don't believe legally that they can. I'm going to let Javier talk. He's written eloquently about that. He's done a deep dive on the laws. Before you get started, though, Javier, um, Dr. Pendergrass keeps hinting that he wants everything lined up like a race car at the start line so that when they go from EUA to being licensed, he can say go and there it's it's the rule. So I don't believe that he is going to attempt because of the pushback to do an EOA, but he hasn't left it off the table, right? He even mentioned during this tag meeting, um, our petition that was meant to make sure they did not um, put it on the schedule while it was still EOA. But go ahead, Javier, you know this really well. So what we need to remember is that everything that has been done so far has been under EUA and there is no um, a BLA license for community or the uh, or the spike vax because there is no such product available in the United States. Everything is still under EUA, so that means that every single shot that's being administered is under the EUA designation and under the EUA label. So legally, okay. yeah, go ahead. Thing. I was very confused when I was watching the Thursday tag, and they said that for. Um, 12 to 15 year olds and 16 to 17 year olds, the product is fully approved. No. Well, and it was, it seems a little slip, the language seems slippery and confusing. It's, it's intended. And again, go ahead, Bernadette. Yeah, it is. It, like you said, intended. And now 12 to 15 is still strictly EUA. 16 to 17 year olds were included in this vague gray area supposed licensing for community and now I think was Moderna um, Javier also for that age group or was it just correct um, it was the Moderna yeah. as well but like Javier said the products that were licensed are not available and and it's really vague lang language with the FDA but you know regardless of whether or not they're licensed they're still under the PrEP Act because the PrEP Act um, will cover any product licensed or not licensed. So they're still totally liability free for the vaccine maker. And that's a huge issue. So, you know, mandating a product, it's, well, you know, they do this all the time because it's under the 1986 Act, but the PrEP Act is even worse because it's almost impossible to get a claim paid under the PrEP Act. Yeah. Well, yeah. And again, I, it's it's by design. I've never seen a a uh, FDA letter stating such obfuscation, such uh, murky language, basically trying to hint that the EUA compound is the same as the BLA license approved compound. And again, they're not licensed. They're ready for approve for submission for a license approval. So they have the names, Comirnaty and Spikevax, that they can apply for a full approval. I don't think that's happened, and I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Because right now, the other thing we have to consider is that there is so there's such a wave of death and injury 
that is going to be reported in the next couple of uh, months to years that Pfizer and Moderna as a going concern for companies might not be there in the next couple of years. Yeah. So this idea that the Board of Health can actually ram this through, I wish them luck at this point because they're <laughs> going to single-handedly destroy any and all faith that the public has in public health uh, departments to zero based on this decision. If I were a politician, if I were a governor, if I were a legislator, I would be telling Secretary, the Secretary of Health Shaw and the governor, hey, quit this. You're killing us right now. Yeah. yeah. Trust, trust is increasingly gone. I have heard from so many people who have had their eyes open. And once you begin to see, once you witness somebody that you once trusted lie to you and you know it's an absolute lie or they're, they're, they're attempting to do something that you know is absolutely wrong, you suddenly see them and, you, and then you look around at what else they have said. And the trust is just gone. And, um, you know, in a way, it's a good thing because public health has been harming health for a long time because of the capture by um, the pharmaceutical industry, by corporate interests. Public health should be our number one protector. They should stand between us and the pharmaceutical industry. And instead, they are marketing for the pharmaceutical industry and getting in, in the way of the doctor-patient relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. What's the next um, question? Um, yeah, those were the two two main ones. Were how can they ex um, explain? How can they approve something that's experimental use? And and why the slippery language about authorization versus approval versus mm -hmm. licensing? And there is a lot of obfuscation around that. Yes. One thing is, I want to make sure that we have time to talk about um, two really important things that the TAG discussion has shown a light on. Um, I do want to just mention back to your comment about public trust, and that was mentioned in the TAG. People, TAG members, I don't remember exactly which one said this, but they said, if we push this through and make these shots mandated for school entry, we're going to lose trust in all vaccines. We're going to mm -hmm trust in the MMR vaccine, and we can't do that. So there mm -hmm. is awareness that, mm -hmm. that more damage could be done. Yeah. Right. Two, I think one really encouraging, um, optimistic thing about the TAG discussions was how much comment was made on public outcry. And, and um, Dr. Kwan Deget actually brought up a public health maxim, which is... Um, uh, a public, the risk of implementing a public health measure is hazard times outrage. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Measure, what they, what they look at is hazard times outrage. And what they saw in the amazing volume of responses, emails, calls to the Board of Health regarding this was a tremendous public outcry the public saying we don't want these shots mandated for school and daycare entry. Thank you for highlighting that because I was also driving when I was listening and I, I caught the word outrage, but I didn't go back and listen to what I'd missed right before that. And so that is really interesting. I didn't realize it was a public health maxim hazard. So meaning the hazard of, of what you're trying to stop, say the spread of disease, versus outrage to the tool you want to use to address the hazard 
Okay, that's really fascinating. Isn't so that- in so I guess our outrage level must increase <laughs> in order to stop it because yeah, the children are continue and they okay. mentioned the threat of further pub further plunging enrollment in public yeah. schools was another yeah. major reason that the tag voted no. Yeah. So the parents who are voting and making their voice heard by taking their kids out of the public schools is, yeah. making, is, is getting attention. Yeah. Our voices are being heard. That And that's very good. And it, all of the individuals, all of the families, all of the moms and dads making personal sacrifices to find other modes of educating their children, uh, to saying no, to losing their jobs because they themselves decided they did not want the job and they weren't going to be bullied into it. Um, you know, this is a positive sign that we can do this, that this is a country for and by the people. We just have to use our power, you know, and make sure, um, you know, we're, we're, this is an election year and I'm not going to put any names out there and stump for any individual, but every area where medical, personal, individual, parental freedom and rights are, are being stolen um, find individuals to put in office who will either restore or protect what's there, restore what was taken and put those back because yeah, we're just, I mean, and then some of the stuff happening in Canada, holy cow, the things that Trudeau has been saying, it, it's just so appalling. And what's been coming out and being revealed about his connection with the global, with the world economic forum and all of that. Okay. Yeah. So, we we're doing good. Okay. So uh, what's next on your agenda? You've got a long list of awesome things to talk about. So I, there's so much to unpack and I yeah. wish that we were meeting a week from now because it's happened so furious, so fast. There's so much to unpack, but you can come back next week. Together. What's that? You can come we're, Yeah. We've got, um, we've got Dr. Um, I've, I've gone blank. Dr. Zaina. <laughs> Carver. Carver coming back next week. So, you know, you can come back again. Just keep that, you know, in the back of your brain if you want to come back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So the other thing that I want to talk about is the frequent comments by Dr. Tom Pendergrass. And I'm, I was so saddened to hear this. He said on multiple times that people have been calling and emailing with disrespectful rude, harassing, and threatening statements. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every myself and everyone I know does not condone violence in any form. No, right? we do not. And this this is a peaceful process. And it made me really um, sad to hear that anyone's getting harassed. No one deserves to be threatened or harassed. And It also made me feel like there was a spin, this painting of anyone who who disagreed with the COVID shots for school entry um, being painted as an extremist because he did not, he neglected to mention that there were articulate, thoughtful, calm, well thought out responses, calls, emails, public comment. I know that, I know those existed. Um, and so maybe a, maybe a few bad apples caused this, but it was portrayed as the tag members were, um, it was a risk for their lives to be on their tag. Yes. The, the, there were moms outside demonstrating in Tumwater at the, um, I don't, at the, the uh, 
public health offices in Tumwater. That was called violent threatening uh, pro protest. Um, I did not find any evidence or see anything in the videos that looked violent or threatening. It was moms and parents with signs. Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering if either one of you could, could speak to that. Um, the the well, importance of making respectful, thoughtful comments that comments aren't going to be heard if they're yeah. too emotional. Right. And yes. So thank you for that. So a, a shout out to anybody listening and to pass on to others. Please remain, as this movement has been from the beginning, um, even pre-COVID, very peaceful. You can be passionate but peaceful. Be careful of your language, passionate but peaceful. Um, but I also want to say the attempt to make our movement appear violent began way before COVID. There was a University of Washington professor who gave a presentation I attended who put up an image of a rally outside um, of a, uh, I forget what, it was like a UN office. It was a big, huge meeting of the World Health Organization, a bunch of people about vaccines. And these, it was a bunch of, it was moms with their children in wheelchairs, peaceful moms, um, you know, going to protest, you know, um, and, and talk about their concerns about vaccine injury and vaccine safety, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this professor, when he presented it, put up the image and then he put up language about violence. And I'm like, what? What is he talking about? These. And so I called up my friends who were at that rally. And I said, was anybody violent at the rally? Did anything happen? And she says, no, here. And she sends me a photo of her and a bunch of moms and the police have their arms around each other. They're, they're all like hugging because, of course, the police do come because there's a big rally. But they're like, hey, can I have some of that information? And they pose for pictures. And so that's just one small example of the attempt to make us seem violent. And now we've got the Department of Homeland Security saying that dis, miss, and malinformation about COVID-19, anybody who, who dispenses that, and they don't define what it is, mm -hmm. that they are now domestic terrorists. So this is, it's a very big concern. A couple of years ago, now it used to be when I attended in-person Board of Health meetings and Vaccine Advisory Committee meetings, it was all very casual. You'd show up and you'd talk with the people beforehand. And on a break, you might walk right up to them and just say, hey, can you tell me about that? Or what's that study? And I've got this concern. And then afterward, you'd chat. It was all very friendly and respectful, even if we disagreed on points. One day, around the time of the measles hype happening, I show up at a vaccine advisory committee meeting with the Department of Health. There's a security guard there. So mm -hmm. I went up to him and I said, are you working? He says, yeah. I said, you're here for the meeting? I'm like, yeah. And I said, why? He says, I don't know. I was just supposed to come. And I said, we've never had security before. And then slowly it became new rules. You can't approach mm. the tables and chairs where they are because they're being feeling they're they're feeling threatened by conversations happening mm -hmm. when you approach them. So it's been more and more standoffish back away. We're afraid of parents who are bringing their concerns. We don't want your books and the printed studies you give us, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is this is part of a strategy that in, in military parlance is called prepping the battlefield. That is you start putting forward information or misinformation 
but you start creating groups ahead of time that will then be able to basically either agitate, subvert, or create uh, as many different uh, uh, astroturf groups as possible uh, to create as much disinformation and, and uh, dissonance as can be generated. And again, this is a story and a strategy that's been used over and over and over again. We're afraid of these crazies. They are threatening mm-hmm. and they just have to repeat it and it'll be amplified through um, basically legacy media. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's been saving the movement has been alternative media that has been there with cameras, showing how peaceful they are, showing how restrained they are, and again, highlighting the lies and the misinformation yeah. put out by many members of the Board of Health, right. unknowingly or knowingly. And again, yeah. bias is an important factor that we have to account for, but outright lying is also another factor we have to account for as well. Yeah. And and look at what has happened up in Canada with the truckers and, and the emergency um, and the the video of the Mountie on horseback trampling a woman on a scooter. That was they not are, a Mountie. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Who, who, who was it? It was a, that. That was not a Mountie. That was not a police officer of Ottawa. As you, If you saw their uniforms, they were all green. They had no signage or uh, uh, shield to show who they were. Oh, gee. So, you know, the there and I also heard because they made a public announcement like a press release that they had gotten word. The truckers had gotten word that somebody was planting guns throughout the the trucker convoy. Um, but they brought this to the immediate attention of the authorities, you know, the police and to the press so that this was revealed. So there were these attempts to make these truckers look violent. And then obviously, I hadn't heard that, Javier. I need to dive into that and find out. Um, and, you know, the attempt to provoke them to the point of violence. So anybody listening now, please, in wherever you are, and as our own trucker convoy begins heading to D.C., there will likely be attempts to provoke us into violence. We must not let it happen. Yeah. Let's let's record everything they do to us. Let's remain peaceful. Let's pray. Let's sing. Let's join together. But do not react with violence. That's what they want. They want to move us to martial law, to, to whatever it is they want to do. And we cannot give them that. Um, the power of the people will... Um, will only overcome this if we remain peaceful. Okay. Yeah, we're getting close. Well, we've got, a, we've got, um, we still got time. So what's next, uh, Laura? What else? I want to have on people's radar um, what's going on at the World Health Organization in okay. pandemic preparedness and response. We're talking about the slippery slope of erosion of our rights and freedoms. We're seeing what's happening in Canada and it's terrifying. And We've seen public health be. Can I, I, I just want to clarify. Did you say endemic preparedness? Pand, pandemic. Oh. Okay, good. Okay. Get prepared for what's coming next. Okay, okay. The World Health Organization is, is working on, and they're going to vote on March 1st on something called pandemic preparedness and response, oh, which really looks like possibly a vehicle for using public health as a guise to further erode parental rights, individual rights, and freedoms. And I just yes. want to put that on, on, on people's radar. March first. Okay. Two minutes, I guess they're telling us. Okay. Yeah. What do we want to talk about in the next two minutes? <laughs> right. That when you 
talk about sort of sort of what's next um, with with the Board of Health and what people can do to to take action on that. Um, they talked about possibly March 9th being a vote, but it really being too soon. They're talking about a vote at the April meeting, and um, if the Board of Health votes for or against this, can it be overridden by the Department of Health, which I understand the DOH? Well, the DOH would never override it. They are hand in fist with the BOH, and so is the governor, and so is the legislature. It's going to take just parental um, complete withdrawal from the school system. That would be our only recourse, would be to non-compliance, to step away from it. But between now and then, we have several weeks to yes. email and to call our respectful, peaceful emails. Yes. Continue the public outcry because it was yes. a win. Thursday was a huge win for parental rights, a yeah. huge win for medical autonomy, and we need yes. to pressure peacefully. Exactly. And it was a huge win for, for those TAG members who, despite what they were shown and the worlds that they sort of circulate in where they are not hearing what, what we know, I applaud them for doing their very best with the information they were given and for making very thoughtful decisions. So we might be on different sides of this whole vaccination issue, but we can be respectful of each other. And I and I Absolutely. am very grateful um, that they did their best in the circumstances they had. So everybody, um, please go to informchoicewa.org. Uh, Laura Gabrielle will have more critiques of the tag um, and so will Dr. Carver and so will we. Um, we're going to take a break and when we come back we'll have another hour. Thank you so much Lara. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. 
Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a Welcome back to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is Javier Figueroa. Um, hey, how you doing there? Looking for toward looking forward to hour number two. Hour number two. Uh, uh, Lara, I'm learning how to pronounce her name correctly. Uh, Gabrielle was just fantastic. It's you know the silver lining of of this COVID. Javier has been the individuals we are meeting from all walks of life, you know, all, um, you know, former perspectives where we're all sort of uniting and, and seeing where the problems lie and becoming vocal. And the first people who do this, like you and Lara and um, so many others, really in my eyes and in the eyes of many are sort of, you're heroic because Unlike somebody like me, who has nothing to lose, I'm I volunteer. I don't have a job in medicine. I'm not in a in any position um, where I could lose anything for standing in my truth. But those of you like you, who you know, you are in the science field, and Laura is a uh, a nurse, and there's doctors and others who are braving the fear campaigns. And um, and that it's not just it's not just fear, but sometimes it's followed through with with the actual threats of job loss and, and such and reputation loss. They're they're being brave anyway and they're standing up. Um, so thank you. I don't know if I've ever said that to you, but thank you, Javier, for <laughs> joining the fray. You have. you have and thank you. And again, it's it's because people like you, parents like you, people that have st- stood up and said, no to the machine that we're that we have a voice and we're actually able to do this and amplify it so again you know you know who the pioneers are because they have arrows in the front and in the back (laughs) exactly last week and you missed and the week before we had some veterans in the field and i'm going to be trying to bring on more veterans in the field because those new to this mission have so much to learn from those who've been there a long time you know we need to unite more share experiences join forces moving forward um, to really restore medical freedom and informed consent. And um, and with that said, it's a good segue to bring on our next guest. Her name is Leslie Manukian. And I, hey, there she is. Hi. Hi, Bernadette. Hi. It's so good to see your beautiful face. It's been too long. It has been. Yeah. So, and Leslie, this is Javier. I don't know that you've met him yet. Um, I, don't I haven't. Was... Hi, Javier. Yeah. Good to see um, you as well. I I have to say I have been burning the candle at both ends and in two states 
And so I'm going to let you introduce yourself um, and tell us a little bit about your background um, leading up to what you're doing today. Okay. Throw you on the spot. I'll make it very (laughs) quick, but um, I'm going to go back a little ways because I think I have a um, very unique um, background and experience in that I graduated from business school and went to work for Goldman Sachs. the um, infamous Goldman Sachs wow. <laughs> and um, got transferred to London and worked for them there and then left and went to go and um, work at one of my clients, Alliance Capital. And that's really important because before I went there, I started, I went to Southeast Asia with a bunch of girlfriends. All of us were in business school. We'd all graduated. We all had these big jobs in New York city and we were, um, thinking that we had two months more to kind of hang out and be free <laughs> before we started our big jobs. And so we decided we all go to Southeast Asia. And one of my friends said before we left about a week or 10 days before, don't forget to go and get your vaccines. And I was like, oh, I would have never thought to do that. So I went over to the University of Chicago's medical center and I said, I'm going to Southeast Asia. I need my vaccines. And I literally, I like hold my arms out. <laughs> And I remember the person said, you know, what would you like? I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to give me? And she gave me everything. Childhood vaccines, adult vaccines, travel vaccines, cholera, typhoid, all in one day. And then I got boosters the next week. And I've never been the same. That was 30 years ago. Well, so much for Dr. Um, Offit saying that somebody can get 10,000 vaccines at a time and be okay. What sort of health issues did you begin to experience after that? Oh, my gosh. Well, I developed within a very short period of time. I mean, within a matter of a couple of weeks, multiple chemical sensitivity, an auditory kind of issue, sound sensitivity, light sensitivity, um, a sleep issue. I, I, I used to be able to like, I, you know, my mother would vacuum around my head when I was young. I mean, I had, I could sleep in broad daylight and, um, I got to the point where I couldn't sleep unless it was absolute silence. I had to start sleeping with earplugs and it just, so those things, I got numbness and tingling. So some kind of a neurological, um, issue, I started to just not be able to think very well. I got brain fog and, you know, I mean, I was a high achieving, um, individual, but I couldn't sit on the training floor and read. I couldn't, I just couldn't cope. And I actually became kind of um, withdrawn as well, which is interesting. So the way that I think about it is that I developed autism as an adult. That's what I really think. Yeah. Because it changed my personality. I became kind of just different, like hypersensitive. I still, to this day, can't stand my husband hates it. He'll like go up and touch me. And I'm like, I can't, it literally makes me agitated to have my skin touched and I'm doing lots of things to continue to work on this homeopathically and things and I'm getting better and better but I got migraines gut issues I mean all sorts of things yeah I I mean that I'm I'm just sort of blown away by the I mean that is so (sighs) the impact on a marriage if you just don't touch me are you kidding what well, like what if wonderful... he touches me just like you know, in in passing, in pa- Oh, okay, okay. So it, and like it, on my neck, there are certain areas I can't stand that you feel claustrophobic about that make you feel defensive. And... No, it's so sensitive. It's so sensitive. Oh. It's like someone's dragging their fingernails down the chalkboard, but it's my skin. 
Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so let me just tell you. So I had okay. no idea that any of this was yeah. related to the jabs. I had no idea. I went off on my trip. I started to get, you know, I'd take a sip of alcohol and I'd get a migraine, a sip. I mean, I was able to actually drink a lot of beer and stuff before this happened, <laughs> but not afterwards. And then anyway, so basically what ended up happening, I just want to finish the story because I think it's important. It gets context. I left um, Southeast Asia, started at Goldman in New York, got transferred to London after a couple of years, went there and then went to work for a client, Alliance Capital, and I managed their European growth portfolio management businesses and research department. And I... Um, I got a flu shot. I just didn't have any clue, but I, I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker and I didn't know why. And I finally went and saw a homeopath and it was so such a life altering experience that I actually enrolled in homeopathy college in secret. And, um, I, um, I first heard about the whole vaccine issue the very first day in homeopathy college. Wow. So the guy who was doing orientation said, we're going to talk about over the next three years of your course, we're going to talk about nutrition and um, the mind body connection and vaccine damage. And I raised my hand and I was like, what are you talking about? Greatest invention of humankind. And he kind of chuckled and he said, well, that's one perspective and we're going to talk about another or we're going to learn about another one. And I was like, huh? Well, he gave me Neil Z. Miller's book, Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective? I read that and I was literally, I cried. And I cried because I had, my job was to interview the CEOs of multinational corporations. And I had one CEO tell me that he knew that this drug that they were making was going to actually kill some people, but they'd still do $7 billion in peak sales. Literally, he said that to me. And so I was just like, <sighs> anyway, I was ready to have my eyes open. Anyway, that's how I learned about the whole vaccine issue. And that's what led me to make my movie, The Greater Good, which obviously, you know, all about Bernadette. And yeah, Let, let's go ahead. Please expand on that, because there's a lot of people who have not seen your movie. Tell them where they can find it and what it's about. OK, so um, The Greater Good was the first feature production on major issue, you know, on the issue of vaccines. And we met with people from all perspectives on the whole vaccine issue. And um, we also told the stories of three families whose children had been impacted by vaccines. And we sort of, it, you know, wove that all together. And so we met with CDC and FDA and Paul Offit. I interviewed the infamous Paul Offit, mm -hmm. and Stanley Plotkin and uh, Walter Ornstein and all these people, um, Neil Halsey, and, and then also Barbara Lowe Fisher and Larry Pilevsky and all these other people who were really fighting the good fight to try and help people to understand that it wasn't black and white, like these authorities were telling us. And we did this through a lens, um, you know, through the lens of these families whose children had been injured. One was a baby, a doctor whose baby died. Mm -hmm. One was the um, a young boy who developed autism slowly from his shots. And then one was a young woman, a teenager who developed, um, all sorts of autoimmune issues from the Gardasil jab. Mm -hmm. And so that film is now, gosh, we think it's been seen by 10 or 20 million people. And um, it really put the whole vaccine debate on the map. It did. And what year was that? It came out April 2nd of 2011. 2011. Wow. Yeah. Look at us now in 2022. I know. Yeah. I think it actually did 
it, it was a major catalyst as well for the whole movement in that so much happened. So in the, in the couple of years after that came out, I know in the state of Oregon, they went from a few percent unvaccinated to 8% unvaccinated. In the state of Idaho, where I live, it went from, I think it was like 2% unvaccinated to 7% unvaccinated. And that's when they really started the full court press against us mm-hmm. all, you know, they started um, pushing back. Anyway, it, it, it empowered a lot of people, a lot of parents, I think, who didn't know where to find the information and, you know, didn't feel confident. And now they saw this and I think it just gave them the little push that they needed to actually chart their own path and do what they felt was best, you know, follow their conscience for their children. Mm-hmm. And so uh, listeners can go to greatergoodmovie.org, greatergoodmovie.org. You can uh, stream online and, and see that film and it will show you the problems that existed pre-COVID that because they were not addressed and we were not getting um, uh, the, you know, these issues didn't get the attention they deserved. It all, you know, the systemic problems with public health, it, it's all revealed there. Yeah. What needs to be addressed. So thank you. Thank you for that contribution and for still to this day being in the fight. And mm-hmm. so do you want to now um, move on to what, like now you're working with, well, I'll let you say it. Tell us what you're doing now. So that movie um, catapulted me into the whole health freedom movement, just making that movie and understanding the issues and meeting all the parents whose children had been injured. And I still didn't know what had happened to me. Halfway through the movie, I remember (laughs) talking to the mother of a boy with autism who was an adult vaccine injured as well. Mm -hmm. And she started telling me her story and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what happened to me. I just started connecting all the dots. I, I remember I, my boyfriend at Goldman, um, he would bring home, his roommate worked for Clinique and he would bring home these aromatherapy products. And I thought they were so great. And I'd put them on, I'd never had an allergic reaction in my life. And I was like getting all stuffed up in my eyes with water. And I just was like, what is happening to me? Anyway, through making the movie is what made me realize that mm-hmm. I was injured. and. Anyway, so I got catapulted into the whole health freedom movement and, um, you know, started speaking and traveling and all these things. And then, you know, and and really educated myself for a very long time. And so when 2020 rolled around, I I mean, this is uncomfortable to say, but I knew what was going to happen. Exactly what has happened. I mean, 20 January 2nd, I was telling my husband, this is this is everything I feared for the last 15 years, 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's all coming now. They put the PrEP Act in place, the Patriot Act, the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act, all these things, these, legis- these acts of legislation that remove our rights and accord extraordinary power to state health departments and governors in the event of a disease outbreak. It was all It was put all in like place. That. Yeah. yeah. And 2019 was a real big year strategically for putting wow. people in place. It's amazing how I've come across people placed in different job positions. Um, what was it? I just, oh, in, in December of 2019, um, the University of Washington opened a whole new program. I'm not even quite sure how to title it, but it's something like the um, something about um, school of an informed, no, I'll look it up. I'll look it up as we're, we're talking here about, about informed 
um, citizens. It's all about misinformation, basically. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. all the big global players and all the local people. It's it's institutionalizing state propaganda and yeah. federal propaganda. Well, remember, and remember propaganda. Yeah, and remember the Disneyland measles outbreak. They never found patient zero, interestingly. But yeah. that is what presaged this massive assault. And so what happened was Congressman Adam Schiff of California wrote a letter to Amazon and Google and um, uh, all big tech, yes. Twitter, Facebook, and said, please take down all of these misinformation, piece of misinformation. Yep. So our movie had been on Amazon Prime's streaming, free streaming service for almost wow. four years. They took it down. They took down all sorts of books and all these things. So mm -hmm. again, when 2020 rolled around, I knew what was going to happen because I've been, you know, studying this and I decided that I had to do something about it. And so I founded Health Freedom Defense Fund. Good for you. And you can find that at healthfreedomdefense.org. And that mm -hmm. is a, um, it's a nonprofit that works to educate the public about their freedoms, their rights, in particular health freedoms, advocate for those health freedoms and litigate when those health freedoms are infringed. So we have filed in the last 18 months or so, maybe a I don't know if it's been, it's a little more than a year, more than 12 lawsuits. Wow. Pushing back against all this. And I'm really excited to tell you that, did you guys hear about the CDC moving to lessen the restrictions on masks? Have you heard about this today? I did yeah. not. I, I've been in the weeds in some bills. So tell me. Okay. So we sued the Biden administration last summer. The law is so slow. It's such a pain, let me tell you. It's really frustrating. But we sued the Biden administration last August, I think, over their travel mask mandate. And we've been just, you know, working through the whole process that you have to do. And just on, was it yesterday or the day before, we filed a motion um, in opposition in response to the government's request for summary judgment. And this this document that we filed is Literally, it's a work of art by our attorney, Brant Hathaway. And there is no, I mean, we are so confident that we are going to win. And we feel that they likely read that and thought, you know, we got to get out ahead of this. And so they're starting to try and back out of it. And so we are very, very excited about this because um, we have a judge that we think is very constitutionally oriented there have already been two cases that have been struck down, one where the CDC overstepped its authority in trying to um, impose an eviction moratorium across the country. That was struck down. And then the other thing was when they tried to uh, dictate to the cruise lines that they had to have a certain amount of people masked and do all these or vaccinated and do all these tests and things. And that was struck down as well. And, and so when you've got this, you know, two great, precedents establishing that the CDC is overstepping its authority and basically the mask mandate is exactly the same. And so we're very, very optimistic, dare I say confident, that um, they're going to strike it down too. And um, it's just very interesting that we filed it, I think, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night. And now mm -hmm. this has been leaked out all day today on Friday. That's wonderful. Now tell me again the name of your organization that, that is it's filing this. Health Freedom Defense Fund, and it's the website is healthfreedomdefense.org. Okay. So we filed that. We filed a bunch of lawsuits, um, Bernadette. You know, that's just one of them. But that's the most exciting thing 
that just happened this afternoon. So I'm pretty thrilled about that. Yeah, that is fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to share with people so they can see that. There's a couple of things I want to show them. First, I want to show them because I did find um, my imperfect memory here. The the at University of Washington, it's the Center for an Informed Public, um, which is just so full of misinformation. You can't believe it. Um, it's you very know, Orwellian. It's, That's such it, an Orwellian art, um, uh, title, isn't it? Or name. Right. And, you know, you're going to find Joe Rogan mentioned on here, um, you know, just misinfo day monthly you know just all of this stuff it's just crazy and i i was sort of at the genesis of this as well because one of the professors that they mentioned i believe it's jevin west and there were i forget the other gentleman's name um but i i attended at that time as a writer i used to um and someday i'll get back to it write mystery fiction that had science in it and my my books were actually peer reviewed for science and got their a seal of approval from a particular um, science association and so i was part of the pacific northwest science writers and we had these presenters from the uw about misinformation and and so I went to this because I know the term, this was pre-COVID, misinformation was being used to censor uncomfortable truths, right? And of course, one of the first examples the professors gave was um, Dr. Andrew Wakefield saying how he gave misinformation. He was claiming that vaccines cause autism. So, you know, I raised my hand and said, you're actually giving misinformation in your misinformation class because the, the paper you're talking about was a case series studies that concluded they did not find an association between the um, you know, autism and what the kids were experiences and receipt of the measles containing vaccines, they called for further research. And you know, I tried to strike up a, a dialogue and an email dialogue with the professors and they would not respond to me. And so it was clear they weren't interested in looking at information that that they believed in their head to be truth, right? They weren't willing to open up. They couldn't see that they were victims of misinformation that had been planted by the pharmaceutical industry 20 years ago and that they're still impacted by. So these are the individuals um, who are part of it. What year was that? When was that? I'd have to go back and look. Just mm, yes. 16, 17, maybe. Okay, interesting. The reason I'm, mm -hmm. I'm asking is because, um, well, first of all, I taught a high school science class with a co-taught mm -hmm. it with a teacher. And um, it was supposed to be unpacking all these different ways that science is abused and twisted and whatever. And I had the same experience. He refused to listen to anything because he was so wed to his um, ideas, right? You know. Anyway, yeah. the reason I'm asking about the date is because it's really important. Who is the biggest funder of the University of Washington? Um, I'm going to say Bill Gates. I don't know. Yes, yes. and there are two really important things. Okay, Bill Gates gave a billion dollars. Gave a billion dollars to the media in the first decade of the 21st century. In mm -hmm. addition. In early 2018, so it's after what happened with you, he gave a $279 billion million dollar grant to the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. 
Now, that's only one of tons and tons of grants that he's been giving to UW for years and years and years. And the point is that they're beholden. I mean, their whole, their entire future, right? Their careers rest upon them upholding the narrative, vaccines safe, vaccines effective. So of course they're not going to listen because their futures and their, their, their comfy lives and stuff depend on it, right? Yeah, I was just checking my email to see if I could find my email attempts to correspond with him, and it's not jumping out. <laughs> but it, it, exactly, they, you know, and I think what we have been arguing all along is what's happened is if you if we watch Dr. Andrew Wakefield's film, 1986, you see the history of the collaboration of of government public health entities and the pharmaceutical industry, the the, the vaccine makers. And you see that from day one, their collaborative attempt to hide risk, because they knew that if they're going to use these um, vaccines as public health tools, they have to maintain a very high level of trust. And it's even in the Federal Register that is written that any amount, anything critical of vaccines, no matter how true, has got to be kept quiet in order to maintain trust in, in the vaccine program. And, you know, that was bad enough when there were just a couple of vaccines out there. Then when the 1986 Act, the explosion of vaccines that came uh, because they were now shielded and they were the golden goose. Um, And now we are are like vaccine, um, uh, hiding vaccine risk truth is on steroids because, you know, it's the whole weaponizing of fear of of infection that's being used for other purposes, but we won't go down that rabbit hole now. Let's continue with the good legal work you're doing. Um, One thing that I noticed when I was trying to catch up with what you were doing is you were working with the uh, Freedom Flyers. Um, Can you tell us about that? Well, so we have many, many groups that we work with. U.S. Freedom Flyers are one of the groups. We also, and that's over 30,000 in, travel industry and transportation industry, um, freight workers, and we're suing the federal government on their behalf um, against the Biden administration's mandate that federal contractors and subcontractors receive the jabs. I don't call them vaccines because they're not vaccines, Um, but these COVID injections. So we're suing the federal government on behalf of them. And I just want to say, we're also suing the federal government on behalf of over 6,000 federal employees um, challenging their jab as well. And then, I mean, we're suing the Los Angeles Unified School District on behalf of staff and the city of San Francisco. And anyway, there are a bunch more, some Mm -hmm. cities and states in Idaho. But the one that's really that you've brought up, U.S. Freedom Flyers, Mm -hmm. is all about how the federal government has overstepped its bounds by trying to dictate that contractors and some contractors must receive this experimental dangerous injection. Mm-hmm. And so we filed suit a few months ago on that. And there's been a very important development in that a, well, two things have happened. One is that um, the attorney general of Georgia filed a lawsuit against the federal government on behalf of contractors challenging this. And he was granted an injunction. And now it's been appealed up to the 11th circuit. And um, so the injunction was granted nationwide saying that this is going to stop. So it paused 
the federal government's policy. And now it's sitting at the 11th Circuit waiting for a decision. And our case um, has been stayed pending what the decision is from the 11th Circuit. So if it's if we get something, if we get a favorable decision, which we're very optimistic about, then um, I would assume that the case will be decided in our favor. And mm-hmm. if it's if we get something against us, then we will be appealing. Yeah, very good. Wow, this this is really exciting. Thank you for bringing us such good news. It's it's exciting to think that the American legal system can work, and there's good people working within it. That's a really point for that. Sorry, were you going to say something, Sally? Oh, well, so one of the things I did want to mention is, uh, to your point, the amount of propaganda that is being uh, transmitted uh, to the population uh, is federally funded in many regards. The Smith-Munt Act of 2012 allowed for direct federal intervention to provide propaganda directly to the American people. So a lot of the things that we're seeing in terms of these uh, health advocate groups that are springing up or all these uh, different entities like John Hopkins, they're being funded by the federal government with funds intended to propagandize Americans. This is not theoretical. You can actually go through the federal register and the federal uh, uh, funding budgets to see where those monies goes and they go to agencies that are basically marketing. Yeah. Can I add to that? Because it's so important. So people need to understand that the CIA is allowed to propagandize foreign countries, populations in foreign countries. Repealing the Smith-Munt Act prohibited the CIA from propagandizing Americans, but they repealed that. And everyone said, they said, listen, don't worry. Okay, we're repealing it, but we're not going to, um, we're not going to do anything about it. And then in 2013, they set up the program and they said, don't worry, we're setting up the program, but there's no funding for it. So we're not going to use it. In 2016, <laughs> they funded it. And so the, the result of that is that anything and everything that you see in major media has the potential and in, in minor media as well. But I think it's just more in your face in major media has the potential to be pure, unadulterated propaganda designed to manipulate and deceive you into a way of action. Think about that. Just chew on that for a few minutes. Yeah. It's insane. Yes, it is insane. And what are we going to do about it? Well, (laughs) first of all, our legal strategy is a multi-year strategy, multi-pronged. It's really important. So what you were talking about earlier about just the, the control and the collusion between government agencies and industry, I think is really important. You know, Scott Gottlieb used to be the head of the FDA. Now he sits on Pfizer's board. Julie Gerberding was the head of CDC for eight years. She left and went to go head up Merck vaccines globally. There's a revolving door. Yes. Between industry and. And who um, was it that Biden? Yeah. Who was it that Biden just, just brought back? What What's his name? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? He just brought back to be I think head of the FDA, and he's been doing that whole revolving. He was there before. And I knew there was supposed to be an announcement, but I haven't, I didn't see who it was. Uh, yeah, it. I'll find out. I'm just not holding on to details. I have to go look everything up today. <laughs> but so yeah. What's really important about this is that two major things have happened, and it didn't just happen last week or even a couple of years ago. In 1980, 1980 the Bayh Act was passed. The mm-hmm. Bayh Act allows federal employees, federal scientists to retain 
the rights to the intellectual property that they develop off the back of taxpayers' money. Seriously, they get to keep them. And so Anthony Fauci and a bunch of people in his lab who helped develop, who basically developed the Moderna injection, mm -hmm. they own patents on it. Mm -hmm. And they profit. They can make $150,000 a year per patent for life. Yes. Okay. NIH owns tons of patents on vaccines. CDC owns over 50. I think the last I read it was 56, but it may be more than that. So that's a really important thing. And yet people look to these agencies as though they're unbiased there to protect your health. Yeah. Crazy. In 1992, something else happened, which is really important. Any guesses? 1992. Javier, what do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I think I was very awake or alert in 92. Was that the um, Telecommunications Act? Close. The Prescription Drug User Fee Act. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's how the FDA now is, they want to get paid Funded. by this user fee. So okay. the user fees, they were like, listen, you know, we have all these unmet medical needs and, oh, we don't have unmet medical needs, but we have these small areas with unmet medical needs that, you know, we might want to get experimental medicine to these people. And so let's do this. We'll, we'll implement um, legislation that allows us to fast track our drugs for these really, really narrow, you know, if you've got some super rare kind of cancer or something that they want to treat, that's what it was supposed to be for. Okay. When it started out, it was about $100 million in user fees. The last I read was that I think it's in 2022, it'll be $1.3 billion. Okay. It accounts so who's for- who? Who's paying the who? The pharmaceutical industry is paying the FDA user fees to get their drugs fast-tracked. Okay. Wow. And the fees okay. that they are paying amount to about 45% of FDA's total budget. But if you drill down to the- um, drug approvers' salaries, it's about 60, 62%. Whose side are they on? I mean, they know who butters their bread, right? Now, I'm sure that the average rank and file scientist is well intentioned and wants to do their best. But, you know, we have heard stories for decades about these scientists and how their hands are tied behind their back and they're forced to do what they're supposed you know, the biddings of the, right. um, the management so of the man. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so Leslie, we're really in a time, and I always apologize before they, I say this, we are in the stand-up or bend-over time. So these scientists, doctors, nurses, attorneys, school teachers, everybody, everybody who knows better, who has been afraid to stand up because they don't want to lose their, their career, you know, whatever, this is it. This is the moment join us, join the, the truth movement, stand up, speak the truth. There may be a temporary pushback, but if everybody stands up together, we can reclaim science. We can reclaim America. We can reclaim all of this. The power is in our numbers. And, you know, we kind of heard that a little bit in the last hour that a lot of things being pushed in Washington state are being a little bit dialed back or there's some, you know, potential of stopping because of public outcry. Mm -hmm. We have power. And so we need to use that power. And it's, it's frightening and yet it's liberating. I have talked to so many people that once they made that step, 
it was a little bit euphoric. It was like, wow, I feel so free. I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from, but I feel so good inside that I have stepped out of darkness into light and I'm going to, I'm going to be part of this movement. Right. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. So yes, all these people trapped seeing they have no choice, but, but please stand up. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. I mean, they are the few, we are the many, right? I mean, that's the Mm -hmm. truth. That is the absolute truth. And if we stand together, we will win, whether it's tomorrow or in a month or a year, we're going to win. There's just no stopping that because we just have too many people to push them over. There's no way that they can actually resist us. I mean, that's true. Yeah. And say, you know, what I was trying to explain is that all these things have been put in place over many decades to get us where we were at the beginning of 2020. Yes. Where, where there was enough cover for the authorities to do what they did. Mm-hmm. And Americans are like, wait a second, this doesn't seem right. But they've they've basically cooked the laws, cooked the books, right? Mm-hmm. In order to make it so that they can do what they've done because they have stolen our power. But I think it's so important. I mean, I hope everybody goes out and reads the Declaration of Independence. I hope everybody goes out and reads the Constitution because the truth is, if you read in there, what does it say? Government of, for, and by the people. We, the people. All the power that government has is the power that we give to them. They have nothing else. And the only thing that is stopping that is people not standing up and demanding it. Yeah, right. And, you know, the complete capture of major media and then social media is a major part of it because in any democracy, it's it's the it's journalism it's that journalism the the ethics of journalism investigative journalism that helped uncover the journalists are not supposed to trust the government there's you know you're not supposed to trust it if you're a journalist and the cdc says something you're not supposed to say i believe it because the cdc said it well you might as well just go to china you know or wherever else communism reigns and and censorship is alive and well um, if you're not going to question everything coming from the government and from a government entity. And, and that's what's happened is they are not questioning because they are controlled because of the funding. You know, I mean, we know it, it's also captured, but we're about solutions here too. And Leslie, you are an amazing part of the solution, your journey in life that brought you to this moment in time you know, you were meant to be here now, you know, and I hate that you were injured in the past, but you know, that whole journey made you so aware of so much without that. You may not have. Oh, I would have been blind. Are you kidding? I don't think I would have been able to awake to what, what is really going on. And it's taken me on a huge journey and Mm -hmm. um, it's what, it led me away. You know, I mean, I quit Wall Street at the top of my career because I didn't want to play for the wrong team. And I thought I was playing for the wrong team. And, mm. you know, I think it's really important that we all re- all realize that we were all meant to be here now. We yeah. were intended for this moment in time. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. it's for each and every one of us to embrace that. And the reason that those people that you talked about, you know, walking away from their jobs, um, feel so 
exhilarated is because they they face their fear and they remember that book Susan Powers face your fear and do it anyway yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's that there is something unbelievably liberating mm-hmm. standing up for what you know in your heart is true is yes. real yeah and there's nothing that can be taken away from you and you know i spent the last couple of years well actually longer than that but really learning about our founding fathers and what their intentions were and what the Federalist Papers and the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution mean. And it's so um, revolutionary. You know, it says our, our rights come from our creator. We are the one and only country whose founding documents say that. Mm-hmm. We don't have a charter of rights that come from people. Our founding fathers acknowledge that our rights come from our creator. And that is just a radical idea. And it's yeah. so exciting to think about because it's it, it just doesn't it remove from you like all the burden? Like, well, I can't do this because the government told me. The mm-hmm. government is too. Yes. Right? Yes. And yes. Your power and your rights come from above. They, it comes from above. It, it's, it's divine. It's exactly. And the Bill of Rights... And the Constitution were written to protect those unalienable rights, those rights that are yours because you're part of creation. They come from that higher power. And and those um, documents were written to help protect that so no man would try to take that from you. And here we see the trampling of those rights. And it, I wouldn't put it past the globalists, the World Economic Forum controlled individuals to attempt to take, um, to change those precious documents, to change the wording, to say that our rights are not in, inalienable. Is it un or in? Um, it's, both. it's both. It's both. Is there a difference yeah. in meaning between unalienable and inalienable? Okay, that's a language question. <laughs> you know, I think that they are, they've both, I think that one was original, but they are both used in, you know, it's, they've both become acceptable in the common vernacular. Okay. But I wanted to say, you know, to what you're saying and, and circle back to your point about, um, you know, what I'm doing to make a difference. And the reason that I'm talking about this stuff is because it's so exciting. It's, it's so exciting to be an American. It's so exciting to be part of this time. And there have been, you know, people like you and I, Bernadette, and I don't know your background, Javier, but we've been fighting this fight for a really long time, right? And it's for a a lot of 2020, I was really afraid. I was afraid because I knew what was going to happen. I knew that people didn't understand what was being unleashed on the world. And when I say unleashed, I don't mean a disease. I mean, all of the measures. Yes. Yes. under the cover of the disease. And I was really frightened and I cried a lot. I have a 19 year old son that I don't want him to have to live in this dystopian world being foisted upon us. Right. But I got to the point when I came through all of that fear and the grief that actually this is exciting because you know why? Because millions and millions of people are waking up and you know, we are going to change things. Yes. We are going to change the system. We're going to hold these people accountable and we are going to get to rebuild in a different way, in the way that it that that our founding fathers intended on the other side of this. And so I think it's a, you know, we have to hold on to that, that yeah. possibility, right? That potential that we yes. can learn from the mistakes and we can 
we can get rid of all the things that didn't work for us. Exactly. I, I love that. And Javier, I want you to get your thought in, but I want to quote like at the end of the trailer for the pandemic three that's coming out this summer is they tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. I just, I'm so excited because these seeds are sprouting. Javier, go. So one of the things that just needs to be mentioned is that this is now going to become a global revolution and it's going to be a revolution of compassion. Um, mm -hmm. The one thing that is con consistently surprises me and I've seen just reflected up in Canada and here in the United States is the amount of uh, love and restraint that uh, so many people have shown regarding everything that's been going on, even to the people that are trying to hurt them. They've mm -hmm. shown so much compassion and restraint. And this is just something that's going to spread and keep on growing. And it's the one thing that, uh, you know, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, all these people perfected. And it was, you know, always approaching peace and love. And that will always overcome the tyranny that's always present to push you back because you're always there and ready to embrace them and say, we forgive you. And mm -hmm. that is the important part in all the things that we do. This is not about revenge. This is not about exacting some, some form of justice. This is about restoring the world into the image that we were promised from the very beginning. Oh, beautiful. Beautifully said, Javier. Thank you um, so much for that. I had a thought, it's, but it, it jumped out of my head. So Leslie, what, what else? Let's see. Let's keep an eye on the time. We're getting um, close to the top of the hour here. How can people support your work? Are you a nonprofit? Do you need donations? Do you need people to help fund you? Lawsuits are very expensive. Very, very expensive. You know, three okay. to $500,000 for a big, serious lawsuit. If it goes yeah, all the right. way, to yeah, we're we're talking a lot of money. So yes, it, Health Freedom Defense Fund is a nonprofit. It is a five hundred one c three, so all donations are tax deductible, and um, you know we're doing everything we can to try and fight back against what can only be described as tyranny. You know, okay. um, if you go to our, if you're on our website, if you click on Learn, you'll just see that there's um, tons of stories and articles, but also lots of videos that I've done. So I've spent the last, I spoke about all of our rights at the Capitol in Boise, Idaho in late middle of January. And mm -hmm. I really encourage people to go and watch that because what I explain is some of those founding documents, what they mean and what your rights truly are. And I've had fantastic feedback on that. Um, and then I gave a presentation at the Western prize conference where I really unpacked how, um, allopathic medicine has been foisted on us through the through essentially a, a cartel that was initially begun by Rockefeller and Carnegie in the early part of the 20th century. And I, I think that's a really good thing. And then I was just on Reiner Fulmich's grand jury last week um, talking about the financial aspect of why the Great Reset is happening, because most people don't understand that governments are broke. And that's one major reason why it's happening and why it's happening now and not 10 years ago or 10 years in the future. But just to put it in context, the context, the European um, pensions are public pensions have an unfunded pension liability of about $50 trillion. They're never going to get out of that. And then they've got the United States, you know, we're at 30 trillion in debt and we've got 5 trillion in pension liabilities. But will you go back to that page? Because I want to show you something sure. else, which is kind of, interesting yes. for people. And that is if they click on um, 
click on the legal corner. They can see all of our lawsuits and brief write-ups and follow them. So we've tried to put it out there so that other attorneys can see them, but also that people can see what we're doing, understand our work, um, the groups that we're representing and how you can get involved. Wow. That is, that is so exciting. Look at that. Yeah. That it's, it makes you understand why, like the Biden administration is just handing out money hand over fist because it's like, they know that they're so deep in debt, you know, the deepness doesn't even matter anymore. Why not throw a few other trillion into the debt because exactly. something else is coming to replace it. And all of that will be wiped away if, yeah, right. But, you know, this is something that I, I don't understand. I've never spent time exploring the economy and, and money systems. Is there a way out, which is not their way? Is there a way to recover Okay, you're both nodding and smiling. Please tell me it exists. Well, I have an MBA. I mean, this is what I did. You know, I worked in okay. the financial market. So, Javier, you go first. What are your thoughts? Well, before we go on, I see that Laura Gabriel, Laura Gabriel said that it's Dr. Robert Califf, who's the new Biden pick for the FDA, uh, just to, to push Thank that you. on there. And second, yeah. uh, that uh, one of the things you have to remember is that a lot of the, a lot of the uh, loss of pension money is actual fraud, and fraud vitiates all contracts. So that's one avenue of legality. And then we're talking about currency and finance, which is, uh, how, how can we put it, uh, a game that's been played crooked for a very long time. So there's, there's more ways to manage an economy through other currencies than we actually are allowed to think about. So oh, go ahead. Yeah, so um, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, my perspective on it is that they are going to try and do what's called a debt jubilee, a debt holiday. And the reason they're going to try and do that is because they have to, because they've been kicking the debt can down the street for decades and they can't do it anymore. And when they do that, they're, but they don't want to default outright because if they default outright, then the public is going to freak out. And the other thing is that they have to default on the public pensions because they're broke. They're right. unfunded. Okay. So what happens when hundreds of millions of people across the Western, Western civilization wake up and realize that their pensions are gone? What's going to happen? I'm not sure how peaceful people and loving people will be at that point. Okay. And so what they're going to try and do is control this through a few mechanisms. And before I get to the mechanism, I have to say it's really important that the reason that the pensions are broke is one, because they've owned overpromised, two, because our population growth has slowed. In fact, it's negative in many of the Western countries, but three, and most importantly, because of their unbelievably stupid policies for the last eight years. There have been negative interest rates in Europe and extremely low interest rates in the United States since since the great financial crisis of 0809. And what that does is if you're a, if you run a pension fund, you invest money and you are supposed to get a return on that money. Okay. And the return on that money is the, is what you use to pay your right. service, your liabilities, right? All of the pensioners. So if you're earning zero on your investments, how are you going to pay the pensioners service your liabilities. You can't. We so got about two minutes. Can you, can you give us a solution? Okay. <laughs> so the is they're going to 
reset the system. They want to introduce central bank digital currencies to do it and right. universal basic income to get to in exchange for your um, your pension. That's why they're pushing all these things. OK, the solution is local action. So your own food system, your own local currency. And this is why they hate all of these digital currencies, the cryptos. But you don't have to have a crypto. You can just have you could everybody in your community could agree that cowrie shells are going to be your currency. All a currency does is reflect the overall productivity of your economy. And there are local currencies in the United States. So that's the way out of their system. One of the ways out of their system is wow, local, exactly. currency, local food, local, true health care. So I'm helping start a integrated health system in my area. A doctor has left and she's working. She's going to start working together with all of these holistic practitioners to create true integrated health care not medical care, not sick care. Anyway, those are some of the solutions I see. Oh my and goodness. Before, before yes, we go up. on, <laughs> let's not forget that there's over 100, well, there's now documented over $40 trillion missing from the federal budget since 1998, unaccounted for, untraceable, and not approved by congressional budgets. So there's mm -hmm. a high degree of, uh, of fraudulent activity between the Federal Reserve and the Treasury. And again, one of the reasons that they want this great reset is to wipe all the books of all the fraud that has been committed. And we can't allow that to happen because okay. that's our money and yes, there are 100%. assets tied to it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 100%. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Leslie. We're going to have to have you back on because you brought up things that I want to know more about. Thank you so much for being on an informed life radio. Best of wishes with all your good work. Um, Great seeing you again, uh, Javier, and everyone. Thank you for listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Bernadette. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. 
high above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.